Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. of Olympus. I am Hercules Invictus, your host. What is the pride of Olympus, you may ask? Well, the pride of Olympus is our Merkaba, our sun chariot, our celestial barge, the wheels-within-wheels wheels shamanic vehicle that facilitates our journeys to the astral realms of Gaia's world tree. The pride of Olympus is our mechanical vehicle for exploring various thematically related but seemingly different approaches concerned with explaining our human origins, guiding our human development, and actualizing our maximal potential. Pride of Olympus supports all of humanity's efforts to transcend this world and venture forth into the great beyond, be they metaphysical, mechanical, or even imaginal. And like all astral conveyances, the Pride of Olympus can and does assume many forms, including this podcast. I'm greatly honored to announce our first segment. Nick Curdo presents the Urantia book with Nick Curdo. And today's topic is why the Urantia book was placed in America at the first half of the 20th century. Greetings and welcome, Nick Curdo. Oh, thank you so much, Hercules. Always a pleasure to be with you and our listeners. Same here. I'm greatly uh, looking forward to learning about the history of the Urantia book. Yeah, you know, it's really amazing what what this program is going to be about tonight because we're honoring uh, someone quite special, and I will go into that a little bit. Sure. So I will start off with just saying to all of our listeners out there, welcome uh, to Nick Curdo Presents the Urantia book. It's a live podcast for you this evening. I'm Nick Curdo, your host. A very brief background about me. Um, I now live in Manhattan uh, and have been here for a good part of my life, but I was born and raised in New England, Springfield, Massachusetts, to be exact. And uh, I went to the Massachusetts College of Art and Design in Boston, uh, was president of the, both the Newman Club and the Drama Club, which I love. And after graduating, I head directly with my portfolio and my plaid suitcase to, uh, <laughs> to New York City, 
can you identify with that? <laughs> uh, on a bus, I think it was a Greyhound bus, uh, to begin my advertising design career. And also, and this is important, uh, to continue to explore my ongoing spiritual search, as well as other big questions about life in general that we all have and want answered. Um, I, when I first heard of the Arantia book while attending the All Souls Unitarian Church in Manhattan on the Upper East Side, and very quickly found, uh, once, I, once I found out what the book was about, a wonderful study group in Soho, and that was hosted by Robin and Helene Jorgensen, very, very dear friends, wonderful people, and that was in 1989. So now I can tell you that I've been studying it for, on the Arantia book for about 31 years. It doesn't seem wow. possible. It, honestly, wow. it doesn't seem possible, but it has been that long. And and believe me, to attract me to something and spend that kind of time, you know it's quite special. Now, um, it has been an expansive, breathtaking experience to explore this awesome, wonderful, and truly loving book. Now, the word Urantia, I'm going to spell that, U-R-A-N-T-I-A, means our planet Earth. Uh, the Arantia book means uh, the, the Earth book. It's for us on our planet right now. I'm a longtime member of the Arantia Society of Greater New York, made up of Arantia book readers from New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. Um, and I've been the past president and the outreach chair. Uh, I host also the Arantia book study group here in Manhattan in the West Village, sponsored by the Arantia Society of Greater New York, and that meets usually the first and third Sundays of each month throughout the year, and that's from 1 to 2 o'clock at the center on West 13th Street. Uh, the Urantia uh, study group is free of charge uh, and open to all, and it certainly is that. Well, we read and then stop and discuss the Urantia book as we go through it, and I would venture to say that all who attend, whether brand-new readers as well as long-time readers find it a very rewarding experience on many, many levels. Again, everyone is welcome to, to join us, and uh, it's free. Um, if you'd like more detailed information about the meeting and, and all that, uh, certainly email me, give you my email address, which is N-I-C-K-N-Y-N-Y-1, that's the number one, one, at gmail.com. Again, Nick, N-Y-N-Y-1, at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to give you the, uh, all the details. Now, just to note that the Arantia book has now been translated into 22 world languages. And that is quite something because it's a 2,000-page book. Uh, yeah. The Arantia book is also sold in bookstores worldwide. And it's, uh, you can also listen to it by going on the Internet. And you can read it there also. It's a great way to sample it. I'm going to give you that address. By the way, they redesigned the website, and it is a thrilling design. Wait till you see it. Um, I wrote to the five people who are responsible for the redesign to tell them what an awesome look they have created for the Arantia book. Now, the, uh, the uh, website, I want to give you that. It is www.urantiabook.com. O-R-G. Now, <clears throat> the other website, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I was just eating a graham cracker, and I should have done that. 
The other website is also very, very good. You should see it. Uh, it's a www.urantia.nyc, and that is also an extraordinary website. It was done by uh, Barry Clark and uh, a few others from the group, and it's, uh, it's beautifully done, and it's a great way to access this information. So now let's get right to it. Um, this is a very special uh, podcast because we're going to honor the memory of an amazing man. His name is Charles Lawrence Olivier, and he is a former uh, consular and uh, of the of, of, of the Rancho of, of Fellowship. Um, he's a longtime reader. He's an authority on the Rancho book. Uh, he lives in San the Santa Fe, New Mexico, and he recently passed on. Um, on November 17th of this year. And uh, there were so many people on the internet talking about him and saying what an amazing man he was on so many levels. Um, he left two messages uh, uh, before his passing. The first message said to all, the universe is friendly. God wants you to know his peace. We are all his sons and daughters, which is the true basis of being brothers and sisters and cosmic citizens. Our destiny is essentially safe. And the other thing he left for us, he, and this is a quote, he said, um, trust God's spirit, collect the riches of mine and divine spirit. Let your hearts not be troubled. Our souls are safe. It's very beautiful. Now, I'm, I'm going I'm to attributing this to him, one, because uh, he, he's an amazing man. He was a, a joyous uh, reader of the Arantia book and, and spoke to many, many people about it during his life. We're going to miss him a great deal. Um, one person wrote, I just want to say this one last thing, and that was that um, uh, he was a wonderful uh, man who graduated from this planet recently. He will be very missed. His universal career now continues on another plane and dimension. His new adventures begin. A joyous journey, dear, dear friend. I just think that's just a lovely thing to say about him, and uh, we're going to miss him a great deal. Um, now, the thing that's interesting here is that he had written a wonderful paper uh, on why the Ranch book was timed to be given us to given to us in America and at the first half of the uh, of the century and he addressed the questions and came up with a paper that really knocked me out and that's what I'm going to discuss tonight of what his points were about it um, uh, the question of the factors that were involved in locating the Arantia book uh, in initially in the United States now it's intrigued many readers for many years um, he's offering some ideas on the subject, uh, and he'll list the factors that he came up with that he feels are relevant, but not necessarily in the order of importance. Um, those who manage celestial planetary government seem to always set up circumstances that have to wait until the fullness of time arrives. Amazing, amazing thought there. So when the time is ripe, they act. And do not think my list 
uh, to be inexhaustive or complete, he goes on. Still, I believe it's uh, instructive to explore the question of why they chose America uh, and close to the first half of the 20th century. Um, essentially, his list speaks to the why and the when of the fifth epical revelation. And that's what we're talking about. That's what the Arantia book is, the fifth epical revelation. And here's his list. Wait till you go down this this wonderful path of history and see how he connects the dots. Here we go. And, and Hercules, by the way, if you want to uh, come into this at any point with a question or comment, please go ahead. We would be honored. I will, uh, but I, we... I suspect I'll be uh, listening and learning uh, for today. <laughs> I, I think you're going to, I think you're going to really find quite a bit in this. Uh, we're going to go with the numbers. We're going to start with number one. <clears throat> he, he lists, these are the factors that help to contribute to the decision to put the Arantia book in our hands. One, the invention of the radio in 1890s, this technology demonstrated the intelligence could be trans transmitted invisibly without the assistance of physical wires that you can see. This may have anticipated the credibility of the existence of celestial authors ordinarily invisible to us. Uh, Future innovations of modern technology for human communications may have only reinforced this. That's an interesting point. Number two. Go ahead. No, that is interesting. That's a, that's an interesting uh, um, thing to think about. Yeah, right away. That that was uh, that kind of caught my attention immediately. Now, his number two reason is the English language itself. The English language is very useful to the revelators since they had to present advanced spiritual and cosmic concepts to the human finite mind. English has a a flexibility for the creative use of words and phrases, especially its nouns, verbs, and adjectives. Uh, This was particularly helpful in the effort to introduce and convey concepts. Now, here we go with number three, America, liberty of thought, word, and action. The democratic society was needed for freedom of expression and action to facilitate the dissemination of new planetary revelation. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, that really speaks for itself. We're going to go to four. Um, Modernary, the early decades of the 20th century saw the emergence of modern art, cubism, abstract expression, and so forth, and modern physics relatively, the uh, quantum physics, etc. He believes that these developments manifest the tendency in modern society to unravel boundaries of the mind. This in turn may have anticipated more mindfulness as a prerequisite towards representing to new revelation facts, meanings, and values. Now we're going to talk about location, which is number five, Chicago and the Midwest, because that's where it was, that's where it was uh, put out. Uh, Midwestern culture, in his opinion, tends to be not as much in a hurry uh, uh, that appears to be the characteristic of the more intense urban and suburban cultures, 
particularly on both coasts, thereby perhaps, thereby perhaps making the uh, available potential pool of willing participants from the culture of Midwest more receptive to advanced spiritual, intellectual, and cosmic thought. Interesting. Wow. Number yeah. six. Yeah. The numbers, he's, I mean, he's really nailing this. He's nailing it. Number six, American middle class. Middle class men and women were perhaps more amenable and receptive to celestial revelation. They draw from a range of assets, a strong work ethic, uh, education, fostering intellectual curiosity, reasonable economic sense of security, social mobility, and among some, a greater willingness than other classes at the time to spread the time on to spend the time on such projects. The large middle class is a major source of social stability in a country. Uh, mm. Our emergence by the 20th century, a development that was critical to the future success of this revelation. The revelators had an ample pool to draw from in gathering cooperative mortals. So that this, now he's, he's making the points here that the stage was set. Number seven, here we go, and he's nailing it again. And his, his, his topic on number seven is race. The black, brown, red, and yellow races by the early years of the 20th century in America, the time period targeted, had not yet had certain opportunities and advantages that the white race generally enjoyed at that time. And so men and women of the white race were recruited to form the original contact groups from among other mortals. The racial aspects of this factor, he believes, were not intended to imply in any way whatsoever that the celestial authorities wanted a non-white race to benefit from the revelation at the lower levels than members of the white race. Before God, we all stand, quote, equal footing, unquote, as Jesus explained to Gennard, an Indian lad he was tutoring, and that's in the Urantia book in detail. This is true notwithstanding certain cultural and genetic differences of the races. Uh, here we go with number eight. The right to vote for women. 1920. I mean, it seems to us wildly crazy that they couldn't vote before that, but it was not until 1920 that the women won the right to vote. Uh, the right to vote for women uh, significantly uh, in modern society was moving along more, more uh, civilized lines, putting the United States in a better position by the spread of freedom and receiving the fifth epical revelation. Interesting. Number nine, anticipation of the American civil rights movement, which went from 1955 to 1968. Uh, this movement altered decisively for the better American racial and ethnic institutions and norms. It shifted the social emphasis of favoring one race above all others by birth to a social system based on character and merit by achievement. 
the United States under the broader application of the rule of law became a fairer and more just society with, with the result in encouraging the races to be more cooperative with each other, assisting the progress of receptivity uh, for the Arantia book. So the stage is set on so many important levels. We're going to go to number 10 now. Outline of War, 1923. The United States and France led the way for a treaty signed by over 50 nation states outlawing war, at least in theory. It indicated a a civiling influence within politics among nations. However, theoretical, uh, it was at birth. Uh, This may have augmented the teachings in the revelation addressing the history of the state and the associations of nations generally. And this is going to follow, of course, number 11, the League of Nations, early 1920s. This was Urantia's first truly international organization for the purpose of bringing the nations of the world together. It was not a government by a conventional definition, but a worldwide association of countries. It provided a new, broader sense of what the idea of the world, quote-unquote, could mean. Uh, Number 12, the coming space rage. Here we go, 1957. Can you believe 1957? Uh, The Mm -hmm. celestial forces probably anticipated the new perspective uh, the space age would afford. Seeking the planet, seeing the planet from space was another way of altering the view of people when they thought about the, quote, world, unquote. The first crude uh, modern rockets were experimented on in the United States at least by the 1930s, the age of exploration starting in the late 15th century dramatically changed the way Europeans perceived the world. Here we go, number 13, World Wars. And that is the Holocaust and all of that. Beginning with the First World War, which was 1914 to 1918, many people questioned the various degrees of perspectives of humanity's survival and the question in one form or another why does it seem that God permits evil? A new perspective and explanation of human origin, history, and destiny were needed. The Urantia book, he feels, addressed that very important need. Uh, number 14, and we're almost done. We have 15 total. Number 14, the human gene pool. A different viewpoint on the casual relationship between our genetic structure and the uh, evolutionary uh, citizens, citizenship was needed in part to contribute to the evolutionary process of new planetary order. And um, he points out a paper in the Urantia book, paper number 72, which is unbelievably important. And I'm going to get to that later on if we have time in this podcast. Paper okay. 72 of the Urantia book is absolutely awesome. And here we go with the last one, his number 15, the advent of the global village. 
modern industry, technology, and science have rendered the world a neighborhood, quote-unquote. Religion, spirituality, and higher ethics have, uh, have therefore failed to make a brotherhood, uh, rather made a brotherhood. Celestial revelation is needed to address the relatively the real possibility of arrested growth in our world because of the great tension between the two. He believes this tension is the primary source of discontent even today and in the past hundred plus years. To truly progress towards life and light, and they use that expression, by the way, a lot in the Rancher book, life and light, we require a genuinely enlightened sense of who we are, why are we here, and where are we going? It's signed, uh, best wishes, Charles Lawrence Olivier, Santa Fe, New Mexico. God bless you, Charles. That's his paper. What do you think? Wow. That, that's pretty uh, impressive and very well uh, thought out uh, and very well uh, expressed. And uh, uh, it gives you a lot of information that's uh, well worth uh, pondering. You know, it does, and it brings you on this amazing level of where we were not that long ago. Uh, you know, it's it just it's not that long ago that these things were happening. Today, it seems like, well, haven't we always had that? And the answer is no. This was a no. steady, a steady fight for an enlightenment of trying to make what was wrong right, trying to find out who we were, what our purpose was. And we're still going on with that. That's an ongoing, uh, an ongoing experience that I would have ventured to say everyone today is, is absolutely in that same, that same ballpark of wanting to know more, wanting to know more about who we are, where we came from. And when we pass on from this world, what's next? Is there something next? And if there is, what is it? And the Arantia book gives you, chapters about what our path will take they call it the universal career and that just stopped me cold when i when i saw that the universal career and um I, i've taken uh, quotes from that chapter and i put them in a document and when someone passes on and their friends and relatives uh their husbands and wives and children and lovers are 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 thinking about their passing I send them this document that has the amazing Urantia revelation of what goes on when you leave the planet, when your time is up and you're going to go on to what they call your universal career. And it's the most thrilling, I think one of, certainly one of the most thrilling parts of the Urantia book when you read that. And I've read that several times with my group and it's still one of the most thrilling parts of the book to to, to, to go to ponder um, now just about uh, that chapter I told you about uh, the, the 17 uh, that deals with an amazing subject and it is so detailed and that is the government on another planet that they say is relatively close to us on many levels that alone had me <laughs> the first sentence they're saying that there is a planet close to us that has human beings very much like us on many, many levels. And uh, mm-hmm. they, they live a little, a little bit longer than us. Um, they have uh, 
a, a government, a well-tuned government, and there's a lot of similarities be, between what they're doing and what we're doing. Um, it, it, it parallels that, and um, it gives details about how their government is run, and it even describes the planet's surface a little bit and how the people live. And it's just a thrilling. Uh, 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 you can go to the website, urantiabook.org, and uh, put in that uh, information, and that will come up. And I'll tell you, you will be, you will be reading that until the sun comes up. <laughs> because <laughs> once you start that, I promise you, it's going to go so quickly. It's like potato chips. Once you start, you're not going to stop. You can't stop. And, uh, you can't because the information's coming at you, and it's you know the word I use the word resonating because when you read something or hear something or even see something, and it resonates to you in such a magnificent way, you, you, mm -hmm. it, and that's what this does. And uh, uh, I would ask anybody to take a look at that. And, and see what you think of that particular section of the Arantia book. Um, for anybody out there who's a sci-fi uh, addict, uh, even as great literature, as great sci-fi literature, you cannot beat what's in the Arantia book in this particular chapter. So anyhow, that, 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 that's what uh, Charles was, uh, uh, was talking about because it meant so much to him when he was reading that, that particular that particular chapter that he, he spot and then there's a lot of parts of the Arantia book that he could have spotlighted. I'm sure right. but he happened to he happened to focus on that particular chapter and say that's one you should that's one you should take a look at. So anyhow, that's awesome. Wow, uh, yeah, Charles Charles again he he nailed he nails this and I love the way he puts. The, from the early to very recent times and shows that one, how one thing leads to the next major step in our planet's life and the people in it and how one thing propels you to go to the next step. And uh, right. now, as you know, uh, Hercules, this has been one heck of a busy time this last year. So much is going on here. That when we do our disclosure network, New York, uh, we call it the uh, DNNY uh, bla news blast. News blast. I mean, we've got we've got we're sending out news blast every single day now. Now it wasn't always right. that true, but there's so well you get it. I'm sure you you get it, and others too. Uh, we got hundreds of people who get it, and the comment is, "Holy smokes! All of this is going on all at once," and. You can see sometimes when you start connecting the dots that one thing does lead to the next. I'll give you a good example right. of that. How many years from the 40s, the governments, and not just the United States either, the governments of the world said there's no such things as what you're calling UFOs. It's swamp gas. It's cloud formations. There's nothing to it. And they stuck with that. All these years, right up until last year, if you can believe that, when they were still saying, no, 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 we don't have any real data on this, um, no, you know, denying us, and also making fun sometimes on many different, not only social media, but major media. If someone reports a sighting, 
they'll, some of the newscasters will say, oh, yeah, right, little, little green men in saucers, yeah, right, and give a little snicker and then get on with the rest of the regional news. So, uh-huh. and you've seen that happen, and it's, yeah, it's sad. Yeah, and when I see that, it upsets me because it's putting in a subliminal message that even if you see something with your own eyes, don't believe it because they're telling you that it's swamp gas or something like that. And, and that is a very deceiving thing to put into people's minds. And it's brave people that will come forth. And, and believe me, I've talked to many of them, and they'll say, mm-hmm. Nick, I saw it, and I have photographs of it, and I got my video camera, and I've got, I've got two minutes of video. And they'll wow. bring that to, to our meetings. We, have, we set up a big screen, and we have a video projector, and then they show us what they've got. Now, I got the witness. Are, so I can vouch for uh, the fact that that's done, and it's very exciting, isn't it? And and sometimes it's not just a saucer shaped at all. Uh, when I was a kid, um, I thought that most people thought that they were just saucer shapes, and some of them are indeed like that. But there are other UFOs that are quite different than that. Major differences. Uh, yeah. Some are very elongated. Uh, some are, they look like spheres. Uh, some of them have colors. Some of them have flashing lights. And some of them, you can't even explain it. They, they look like a piece of machinery with gears. And uh, these photographs have been looked at. They've been blown up. Uh, people in labs have looked at them and they say, this is not Photoshop. This is the real deal. This is what was up there in the sky. Um, Hercules, I want to ask you, have you ever had a UFO sighting? Yes, uh, several throughout my life. Uh, one of them uh, quite recently, uh, we were uh, driving uh, in New Jersey on en route to an appointment. And I happened to look up in the sky and I saw something. It didn't look like the conventional UFO. And I've seen those in the past uh, uh, as well. Um, it looked very different. It looked almost like a uh, um, like a type of uh, uh, pixelated uh, stingray. <laughs> I guess that's how mm. I can describe it. And uh, it was there for a while. And my wife asked, "What are you looking at?" And I said, "Can you see that?" And she looked up and she described the same thing. So uh, uh, eventually, in the twists and turns, because we're on busy roads uh, uh, during the workday, but it was there for, for as long as we were on that road. Um, you know, we could see it very clearly, and it, uh, you know, remained either stationary or moving. You know, I've, I've heard other people talking about they were driving their car, you know, looking at the road, trying to be safe, and, and suddenly something caught their eye. In some cases, they said, literally, it came towards me. And in one case, she said, I thought it was a plane that was coming, crashing down. And it was coming closer to me, and I was scared stiff, and it went right up over us and then over to the horizon. And, wow. and that's how close she saw it. And meanwhile, she's driving on a highway in New Jersey, you know, you know wow. minding her own business, not looking to see anything. But she said it was – you couldn't deny that this was very real and coming – now, why it was going so low – and then, then headed right past her and then out of sight. Who knows? Who knows what that was about? But she said, you know, 
I was with somebody, they saw it too, just like you're saying. And that's a strange thing, because sometimes with paranormal phenomena, I've spent my lifetime exploring a paranormal phenomena, some people can see uh, the phenomena and some people can't. And the widest incident of this was at Fatima, uh, where some people saw you know, the visions, including the sun dancing, uh, and then a lot of other people uh, didn't. You know? So um, I was very surprised when my wife, uh, Connelly Siep, was able to describe it, because uh, uh, sometimes that doesn't happen with the, the paranormal. That, that's very true, and I'm glad that you shared that experience, because if you're with somebody and they're witnessing the same thing, then you can compare notes. Uh, yes. So one thing that's been surprising to me, now here we are living in a, the, uh, the East Coast, major city, New York City, three major airports, all kinds of scanning devices in the sky, uh, of hundreds of thousands of people looking, sometimes looking up at the sky. And uh, in all the boroughs, we have had major UFO sightings, not just at night, sometimes right. in the early morning and during the day with bright sunlight. So there's no right. one time to see it. It's just when it happens, it happens. Uh, people have said that I've never heard any uh, motor sounds. I've never heard any humming. Most people say it was silent. Now, not all have said that, but a great many have said I didn't hear anything, but what I saw just exploded my mind. What in the world is up there? So it's just interesting the way people report things. Uh, when people have the presence of mind to get their, their cell phones and take photographs or even video of, of these uh -huh. things and then share that, it is very, very exciting. And we have, we have some wonderful people who that's their hobby is to do this. And some of the results – I'm telling you, the, the room they were showing them in, our Disclosure Network room, you could have heard a pin drop when they were showing about 15 minutes of what they had photographed, both uh, still shots as well as video. And there's no denying that, yes, they were up there. It's not Photoshop. What is going on? Uh, now, uh, the one interesting thing I want to throw in while we have the time is Dr. Stephen Greer, who is an authority on on uh, uh, this uh, subject said at one point to our group, if a UFO gets very close and you can see the structure itself, if you're seeing uh, bolts and hinges somehow holding the looks like whatever metal it is, whatever kind it is that you're using, you're seeing bolts holding things together, screws, anything like that. It's not theirs. It's ours. It's now, what he ours. means by yeah. that is that uh, there's been many instances of crashed UFOs, and we can talk a little bit about why they crashed on here, but they, some of them have, and they're retrieved by the governments, and they're gone over with a fine-tooth comb trying to find out what makes them propelled, what makes them tick, what kind of circuitry there is, what kind of metals they're using, and so forth. And so they have been successful in re-engineering what we would call UFOs. And so if it's ours, you're going to see bolts and things like that, like all the, all the uh, aircraft have now. But if you're seeing no bolts, no seams, seamless, it's theirs because they have the technology to make things as big as 
aircraft carriers, uh, submarines, and much, much bigger than that, football field big, and there's no seams or anything because they have the technology. Uh, we, we've taken guesses to, to say how in the world do they do that, and there's some ideas about that. But basically, it's one solid structure, which makes total sense. If you're going to be in space, you know, have something as strong as possible with no seams or anything like that. It makes total right. sense. That's what it would be. So just an interesting thing that Dr. Gruff said. Now, Nick, we, we're running uh, toward the end of our journey together today. Uh, thank you so very much for opening my eyes to uh, uh, another chapter in the Urantia book uh, mystery and uh, um, giving me a lot to think about. And I know you shared your contact information. And on Facebook, uh, too, uh, I've listed all the information that uh, you've given um, but uh, if you'd like to repeat it again, that'd be good for folks who don't have access to Facebook and weren't near uh, a pen and paper when uh, you gave it last time. Oh, okay, then quickly, let me just say then that uh, they, can, they can read the entire Urantia book. They can read the chapter I told them about by going to U-R-A-N-T-I-A-B-O-O-K.org, Urantiabook.org. That will get them right there. This new site is awesome. Uh, I've, I've talked to the designers of this website. They are cutting edge, incredible designers, writers, and visual artists. And you will be knocked out with the, just the visuals that are there. Also, the other website that's also extraordinary is urantia.nyc. And as you can imagine, that's a little more locally done. And that's a magnificent mm-hmm. website, both of them. So please go to those two and uh, preview this extraordinary book. That is incredibly awesome. Thank you very much, sir. And uh, um, you were invited by Phoenix uh, to remain uh, for his show as well. Uh, So if you'd like to remain, and I know you're going to be on the Atlantis Project uh, tonight, our concluding show, uh, but you're welcome to stay throughout the whole thing. We're going to take a brief uh, five-minute break, and then we'll be back. Uh, Thank you very much for the invitation. Absolutely, yes. Okay, awesome. Talk to you in a few minutes. Okay, love to all. I am the king of dreams. 
Welcome back to Pride of Olympus. I am Hercules Invictus, and I am honored to announce our next segment, The Preceptor Project with Phoenix the Technodruid. Uh, tonight, we're going to learn a bit more about The Preceptor Project and uh, what it's about and what it will soon be doing. And joining us as guest is the legendary Nick Herter of the Book and the Disclosure Network New York. Greetings, gentlemen. Greetings, everybody. Great to be here, you guys. Looking forward. Very much looking forward to tonight. As am I. Uh, Me too. Me too. uh, Phoenix. Okay, so, yeah, primarily primarily tonight's, um, I guess, aim should be uh, cover everything that I couldn't cover with the Thanksgiving broadcast and, um, yeah, get ready to move forward. Now, a couple, couple of good things happened. Um, one, one, we definitely have, um, we definitely have an old high school friend of mine that wants to fly our, to fly our wing. Uh, this is knowing, this is knowing that my the the radio and computer industry I kick up in Utah, and hopefully some of it bleeds through into the city, guys. Um, that uh yeah this this uh, the the resources i generate are going um to pursue our project which is uh, you know i said that and this person's eyes just lit up so apparently this person's been listening to us for quite some time now um okay so now i've been looking at, okay so for i guess current stuff leading into future i've been looking at this device uh 
called a nano DNA for quite some time. Um, anybody, anybody that's interested in getting into the radio part of things, should definitely check this little thing out. Um, you can actually make antennas, so and tune them and have them perfect. Um, now, a little bit of research, a, a little bit of research has revealed that uh, you know New York, New York is uh, pretty was one of the biggest. In fact, I believe it is the biggest in the United States for fully licensed amateur radio operators, which is another good thing. Um, that is surprising. That's a very amazing fact. I never knew that. Neither did I. You, I believe you've got um, over, over. I want to say, two to three hundred thousand out there. Wow. Whoa! So yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, out of eight million people, about eight point nine million people. That's not that many, but when you consider. Uh, more than every one of those buildings could have a um, a dozen uh, radio licensed radio operators. It makes you wonder why there's infrastructure and communications problems. <laughs> um, we will be making antennas. Percept- the Perceptor Project will be making antennas, and you know, uh, less than a megahertz all the way up to 900 megahertz tuned in. Uh, that's one way we'll, we we will be supporting the, our industry and hopefully getting me out there uh, sometime this coming in 2020 to yeah to do like an event or whatever it is whatever it is we can dream up. May I ask so, a question? Yes. Um, the antennas you're speaking of, do they need to be put on rooftops? You can. You can, um, and yeah, I mean some of the bigger ones, like if you're if you okay, so if you're meaning to transmit with over let's say 20 watts, then yes, I would strongly advise it's on the rooftop, especially if you're going to be talking on the radio for a long time. The exposure of 50 watts of uh, RF for one hour is the is the supposed limit in a 24-hour period for human exposure. And I mean, you can cut that up however you want, but you're gonna start you're, you're gonna start to get like a sunburn after that amount of time. And believe me, it hurts a lot worse. <laughs> but um, good to know. Good so to know. yeah, um, a lot of the other projects are still on. In fact, um, for the greenhouses, I know now how I can transmit not uh, with five watts. Surprisingly, five watts in this WFPR or Whisper. Dudes, dudes, we do not need to worry about how far those greenhouses can shout out anymore, because you can get you can get um, over the puddle into England supposedly. Some of these some of the uh, like some of these ham operators that are that have gotten their uh, amateur extra, which is like the top of the, top of the line of of the the things you can get as an amateur operator. These people are broadcasting on these super low, low frequencies, and these frequent, uh, um, it's like tropospheric induction or something. It's, it's the skip you get off of CB radios. You, well, your frequency is lower than that 27 megahertz your CB's putting out. Then, um, yeah, you, um, it skips a lot more, and you can you can propagate all the way around the world. 
So, um, yeah, anything that we, any of our devices, any of our creations that we're going to need to communicate, we can do it that way very, very easily. Uh, the future, so, the future this, is. I have a question. Go ahead. Would this take a, would this take the place of a telephone or uh, communicating by a computer? Um, I'm trying to get a sense of uh, um, how something like that would, you know, can be incorporated into our daily lives and our doings. Is it more secure um, it than it currently exists? Is it safer? It would definitely, uh, it would definitely serve as a great backbone for the tel- for your cell phone, um, for computer communications. Okay. You are looking at the ability to, at least on the super low low band. Now, um, there's also there's also a uh, there's also like a. 20 to 35 gigahertz solution that I'm working on right now, but um, yeah, these low low bands it would form. It would you can get about 1200 baud. So if you remember, if you remember the old dial-up days, yeah, 91, 92 hertz. Okay, 12. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you remember being on a 1200 baud modem. That's about as fast as it is on the low low bands for uh, now security. The security, there's no form of even even the cell phone that I'm on um, is hackable. So uh, as a general thing, if you're saying it on the open airwaves, then um, yeah, you know, don't don't. It's like it's like the old rule: don't say it on the phone if you don't want it known. Um, the airwaves are completely open. So would it take the would it take uh in in a in a grid down situation? Definitely. <laughs> would it take the place of a phone? Um security. Uh I would don't say anything that you wouldn't want to say over like a paging system. That would be good. So how can like I, I'm trying to figure out um because uh, I have difficulty with uh, just my cell phone <laughs> a lot of times. Yeah. I, I don't use most of the functions on the cell phone. I just have the cell phone, and this way I can call or people can call me, uh, and uh, most of the time we uh, connect. So I'm, I'm trying to fit yeah. – this sounds like, like almost like a walkie-talkie type of uh, thing. Um, where, walkie-talkie, you know, you, uh, car mount, uh, or – yeah, I mean it, it is radio. It is radio as we're all used to. You know, you push up, you key up on the, you key up on your mic, you talk into the mic, uh, you say over when you're done, so the, the the other person knows. You know, yeah. I mean it is walkie-talkies essentially. Um, you can also duplex it so your walkie-talkies you can talk and listen at the same time. But yeah, okay. I mean the. Uh, Go ahead. So, how would it be different from like a CB radio? Because I had one of those once. So I'm trying. I'm just trying to understand. Uh, I've had walkie-talkies. I've had CB radios when I was young. They, they were the thing, and uh, uh, so I got into that uh, briefly. I don't remember my handle, but I had a handle the whole nine yards. Um, yeah, yeah. How would it be? Like, would it be something like that, where you're talking to the specific person, or just uh, generating uh, information that anybody can pick up if they're on a particular channel and like in a, in a particular uh, circle? 
um, around where you have to be. Yeah, essentially, yes. Uh, essentially, yes. Until you get into digital radio, definitely. Um, now, once you get into digital, however, um, the you have uh, identi- you have identifiers. Uh, your cell phones, your cell phones are um, what's called CDMA, Code Division Multiple Access. Um, which means that's how the switchboard runs. Now, your walkies are what's called tone division multiple access. So your walkie-talkie emits a tone. If it's, uh, I believe if it's analog, it, it, it emits a tone that uh, you can't hear when you're transmitting. And even so, the electronics on the other side of it strip that tone out of it so that it, in the tone just tells it where conversation needs to go. It's like privacy codes on these little um, these little Walmart push-button radios. The ones that uh, they say they're good up to 25 miles and they never are. Okay. Um, yeah, you get, the, you get the privacy codes on those and yeah, um, not as much infrastructure as necessary for radio. And I mean, again, it's a great um, during peacetime, it's a very definitely, I wouldn't pick another hobby for like immersion level, your ability to learn stuff. Okay. I mean, I'm learning things about frequency and vibration, guys. This was, you know, you guys both know how I'm like, uh, you guys, well, at least one of you has called me, uh, has flat out called me Tesla on crack. <laughs> yes, I did years uh, ago. Gotcha. <laughs> Uh, that that one's still sticking out here, by the way. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, you, you know, it's actually quite a compliment. I I don't know if uh, how Nick is absorbing this. I'm having a difficult time absorbing. So you would be too far away for me to talk to you on this uh, type of device, right, or this type of system. But Nick, it's possible because of his proximity to where I am, because I'm not that far from New York City, that I would be able to talk to Nick. Right? Is, am I understanding that correctly? Um, if you're just doing straight radio to radio, yes. However, I can. Uh, there is a way for me to join in. Um, a lot in of these people are taking the are taking the software called uh, Trello. Um, and and in fact, uh, I think the two GMRS repeaters that are not associated with responders out there are operating on this system. But uh, you can you can create what's called a Trello repeater, and everything. And this Trello is a type of push-to-talk software. You push the button, you talk into it. You, but these people are hooking it up to uh, repeaters, so you push the button into it. You land up on the other side, and you're on the air wherever wherever that comes out at. The same okay. thing with the same thing with the same thing with what they call DMR, digital mobile radio. Thing is, our listeners um, definitely want to start out with with the general mobile radio service or GMRS, right? So that um, it's le- you you have a steeper licensing fee. I think I, I paid seventy for mine, but with the steeper licensing fee, um, there you don't have to take a test. You don't have to sit there and study for like three months like I did and come to find out I probably could have I probably could have studied for it in three in two to three weeks. At least this is this okay. is again this is kind of the 
This is kind of the gambit with our with our new person out in uh, Duchesne, Utah, Fort Duchesne, I believe. That I can help them study up and be able to pass the be able to pass the at least the technician level, the first level of the operator's test. So in that amount of time. So yeah, where all where this is all going for the Perceptor project is now with um with with my with my main with my uh, my call sign the K, uh, my uh the KJ7 KHC my call uh, that uh, yeah by the way guys that's my call sign now um been wanting to put that on a, I've been wanting to put that on a show for quite some time okay. um with that with that call sign you you have certain frequencies in just about every band that are set aside for radio control. Okay, so um, say like we wanted to pilot a drone from 10 miles away. It's doable. Uh, you know, you want to stick a transmitter on that drone that's big enough to transmit the signal back, it's doable. Um, which means also that can run in reverse. Right, I can receive signals from transmission units that are meant to control other things, and then when I receive those signals, I can then take action on them. Okay. So guys, so, guys, so that's they're, opening they're, up a door there. That's opening up a door that's a little bit frightening. Could could you uh, maneuver something, control something that the other person would not want you to do, and you can override the system and do what you want? Is is it, is that sort of thing part of the mix? I'm concept. not uh, in the in the stuff that I code up. There is not going to be a back door, and the front doors are always going to be made to make uh, make sure that everybody. You know, I thought about that. I've totally thought about that. It's like, how could I hack this? It's usually one of the first things I think when I design something. How could I hack yeah. this? Yes, absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, if you don't if you don't put yourself in a back door, uh, and you you observe good security practices. Um, say like for example, say for example, um, one one of the projects that is going to really help you out with Project Lemonade, Nick. This is this yeah. is uh, this is one of the reasons why I said hey. I've been, been trying to say hey, stick around for a couple of broadcasts now. Um, one of the ways this is really going to help you is um, when he, okay. So we get our ship put together, right? Probably, mm-hmm. probably a variant of the design of that little that that little Swedish kid. Well, now he's not so little anymore. He's like 25, but he was 19 when I read the article, and he was setting sail to go clean up the plastic. Right. Now we put we put we put some type of a system onto boats that the larger cruise ships that have a whole radio room can um, interface with. You know, with just maybe like a just like a little extra box the size of a cell phone. Hell, you could probably gut out a cell phone to um, construct this little thing, this little control box, and you put the transmitters with it. And now your 25-foot fishing boat has just as much protection from pirates, sea-bound, like they talk about Somali pirates all the time. Well, Somalia is not the only place they come from, guys. They come from every yep. nation in the world. Yep. Um, but who's who's gonna who, who's gonna pull up on a ship? If you're a pirate ship, who's gonna pull up on your boat? If 
you're sending a signal that's saying, hey, I'm getting jumped by pirates. Here's my here's my latitude and longitude. Here's my GPS. Uh, send the Coast Guard immediately, and that signal's going out to everybody within a two to seven thousand mile range because and you're running a low band and it's hopping. Yeah, there's no pirate that's going to be stupid enough to attack your ship, knowing that the Coast Guard's no more than an hour away. They would have to li- they would have to literally lift up your whole ship and put it in their cargo hold in order to you know make their trip worthwhile. And still, <laughs> hey guys, there's an oil tanker that's trying to lower cranes onto my little fishing boat. <laughs> Coast Guard help. Okay, so once once we eliminate piracy or at least make a very big dent in it. All of that, all of that transmission, yeah, all of that transmission network is going to need a purpose. So while we're out there recycling plastic and basically mining plastic out of the ocean, maybe even, uh, you know, um, once once Shepard popped his head back up, he's been he's been real busy out. He's been out of my communications range recently, but yeah, also yeah, he's been real busy. But once he pops his head back up, I mean, we can we can also focus on taking salt out of the ocean, desalination, and just put fresh water back in the ocean, drink it, whatever, and ship the salt back off to the land. There's two industries that we there would be two supporting industries to our plastic cleanup. Once we get out there, and once we get all, once we get uh, you know, a few thousand of these things. So there's going to be one at least one within range of another at pretty much all times. Then you guys could we can take something called a Gotenna, reverse engineer it, and uh, you know if the Gotenna people happen to be listening to this broadcast, guys, please, please, I've got the hardware. I'm working on it. Um, you can reverse engineer this thing called a Gotenna, which is on a proprietary frequency. So they can encrypt and encode and do anything that they want to the transmissions between these little devices. Well, you just have them lock down another frequency for ship-to-ship communications. And now, while you're out on the ocean cleaning up your plastic, you don't even have to hit the dock to sell your to sell whatever you're hauling. Have another boat haul it into shore to sell whatever you're hauling. And uh, you're picking up a t- you It takes twenty five hundred dollars, guys, to make it to make your own cryptocurrency. Now, if you if you just plop a cryptocurrency into existence that every ship on the ocean is using, uh, you know, it's like Nikola Tesla said. And here's why. Here, he, for, for our listeners, here's why they call me Tesla on crack. Uh, you know, one of his goals was to make life just that little bit easier for everybody. For everybody. Amen. Amen on that one. Wow. So, um, it, it like I'm you've also, come further in the past, uh, uh, since you last spoke about uh, around a month ago, it seems like you've come uh, much further uh, in tying it all together and in uh, um, finding ways to make it uh, actually happen. Definitely. Definitely. Um, now, now, uh, you know, now it's just finding money for a prototype. And you that know? is one of the questions I was going to ask you is that the GoFunding, GoFundMe, that GoFundMe uh, website, and you've been hearing an awful lot about that in the last year. Um, is that something that you're focusing on to do? 
that's not something that I have focused on just yet, but um that would be po- that would be a possibility for an income stream, especially Hercules with your proximity to that city. You know, um here here here's why here's why there's like two or three you know, in population density is why I've seen the two or three uh, GoFundMe's that Hercules has run for various things. I they all run take, any they all just, yet. I've, I've, I've supported people so far, but I've yet to run one on my own yet. I'm still working on that. Uh, I'm pulling together two projects now that I'm going to test out on huh. GoFundMe, and I'll definitely share what I learned. Huh. That would be great. That, that would be say, so I, helpful. Yeah. I was going to say, there was this one that I... Uh, Whose was it? And something for Athena's family. But anyways, yeah. Uh, yeah. You're right. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, that one, that one, I, we just saw take off on this end, and it's like, whoa, okay, so maybe that might be the issue because it's like mine. I think I got uh, last time I did a GoFundMe, I think was for for uh, Christmas when bills popped up, and I think we got like twenty bucks. Which was like far from the two hundred we were asking for, so they just swallowed it, and we were mm. we were scratching our heads, thinking it's like, what did we do that for? Well, but you, you, um, yeah, population you density. Sort of thing. Uh, I think also it depends upon your uh, your your narrative, uh, the way you present an idea, the way you make it simple to understand the big concept and the way you phrase it. I think that photographs of people and what you're doing really helps to legitimize your, your needs. And I think that from what I, I know, it seems like you're going down the road. That seems like the next big step to get some serious funding. Yes, I agree. See, I have a friend that's uh, I have a friend that's one of the lettermen over at uh, this DoTerra place that does the essential oils here, uh, and he's pretty much saying the same thing. I mean, get your get your prototype to where at least your visual, visualization is to eighty percent. Worry about the don't worry about that last little ten percent of functionality until after the initial prototype. But get your prototype to eighty percent. Um, you know, kick in your crowdfunding or whatever your funding mechanism is, uh, whether it's an angel investor, you know, whether it's uh, you've been sitting on this big wad of money for like 10 years or whatever, whatever your method is, uh, kick it in, get it going. And, um, yeah, uh, do that when, you're, when your prototype is to, at least the visualization of your prototype is to 80%. And I'm quick coming up on that. Um, for, the lower, for the lower bands, at least those that, those that I'm licensed to run right now. And keep in mind, that guys, also, the United States has the toughest, hands down, the toughest radio uh, laws on the books anywhere in the world. But then Why again, we also have the biggest infrastructure. I, I think a, uh, the way to approach it would be who you are. I think that people immediately want to know, who is this that's, that's spearheading this? 
what's what briefly what's his background just give me some idea of who you are and then why you're focusing on this particular issue this particular uh, subject why is it important to you and then tell me why it's important to me once you do that you set the base groundwork and say we're excited because this is the time we've had so far on this project and this is how far we've come and this is some of the limited achievements we've already done and then you say this is where we want to go you and you do that simply and concisely you don't need tons and tons of uh, uh, sidebars because people want to, you know, as you know, people yeah. are all in a hurry. What, what is it? What, what are you doing? Uh, how's it going? They, they want these bing, bing, bing. But you know what? Fine. We're all busy. So you go to that route. You go to that level and say, okay, briefly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you what's going on here and why it's important. And this is our goal monetarily. And this is how you do it. And then uh, what you said before I thought resonated to me is that there might be different levels um, of, of, of giving and what you would be receiving. Perhaps if, it's a, if you're going to give a little bit more, whatever more is, you would be on the fast track to uh, monthly updates of how the project is going. So it's not just like a one thing and then it's over. You think, I want to be part of that team. I want to be part of, uh, I'll give you some money of funding because I'm interested in this. And you would say, thank you, and we're going to put you on the team. We'll list you if you want your name on that team. And this is, this is some, you're stepping up to help us, and we're going to keep you up to date in our progress. So what you're creating now is a family of people that really care about your work, about your project. And believe me, that is absolute gold. Because gold, because they all have friends and neighbors, and they'll tell them, especially if you say, could you spread the word? And yeah. you know, usually people have a like, you know, like if you like something and I like it, then we probably both have friends that also like the same things we do. So there's a very good chance that they would have other people to email your your story, your, your what your needs are, and that that can sweep across the internet and 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 really it's it's people have done that and uh, a good project legitimate project with real real obtainable goals um, and I think you I think you kind of you're there you're you're at that point now where you want to it's say about, well, yeah hey, here we are through the door there exactly well here we are this is what we're doing we're excited we want to tell you about it too. That's where you are, and and that's a wonderful place to be. I agree. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Now, I mean, uh, go ahead, Herc. this particular segment is coming to a close, uh, and I'd like people to uh, be able to contact you. So why don't you share um, how people can contact you? And Nick will again repeat how people can contact him. We'll take a break, and we're going to tie this into uh, the uh, Atlantis uh, project and uh, conclude today's show. Great. Okay. Okay. So for me, um, facebook.com forward slash ROR Preceptor Project. Or, um, hey, if you guys want, if our listeners want, they can get a hold of me on my business cell phone. 
801-860-5883. Or if you've already got call, if you've already got a call sign or you're interested in getting one, um, I uh, my call sign. Uh, you can look it up. The FCC call sign lookup is KJ7KHC. And that actually right now is giving an embarrassing amount of contact information, but you'll be able to, you'll be able to find me. Definitely, let's build something um, for this segment. Though so I'm going to say yeah, seven three and Godspeed, and we'll we'll I guess we'll all be joining you back on the next segment too. Yes, uh, most certainly so. And um, I've added uh, links to your uh, to the uh, Facebook uh, announcement. Uh, to Project Preceptor. So uh, if you'd okay. like me to add the telephone number as well, I'll gladly do so. Okay. Okay. And, and Nick? Yes, sir. Um, well, we're going to be talking a little bit, I think, for a few minutes about the Project Lemonade, which is, uh, which is dealing with the worldwide problem of homelessness and the pollution of plastics all over the planet. So if, uh, if you have any interest in that, we'll be talking a little more specifically about that. You can reach me at my email address, which is Nick, it would be N-I-C-K-N-Y-N-Y, the number one, at gmail.com. Nick, N-Y-N-Y-1, at gmail.com. And one is the number one, not O-N-E. There you go. Thank you very much, and uh, we're taking a break. We're going to listen to Gently Johnny by Dave the Bard, and then we will be back with the Atlantis Project, part of the Age of Heroes initiative. Cool.
Greetings, that was Gently Johnny by Dave the Bard, the song made popular by the Wicker Man of long ago. Um, We are returning now for Age of Heroes, the Atlantis Project, which uh, I will be hosting. And joining us are Nick Curdo and Phoenix the Techno Druid. And uh, we're going to be discussing first uh, uh, some Pride of Olympus business and then move on to the Atlantis Project. Um, Recently, I spoke at uh, Disclosure Network New York and I gave a presentation on uh, the uh, um, Greek Olympian space gods. And uh, I basically laid the foundation and uh, I'll be continuing in a talk another day to kind of wrap up uh, the subject and uh, we started officially on that day our Olympian um, Outreach Center. And uh, we had information uh, from um, Michael and Diane Duncan and their sixth uh, revelation. And we had some CDs that they'd sent and some uh, brochures and uh, some from the Mark Age. And uh, these were available for free to the people who attended. Uh, and so it starts. And when I receive uh, from uh, Nick and from Phoenix uh, literature, I will add that to the box. I have tons of stuff from Unarius. Uh, so uh, the amount of information I'll be able to give out at subsequent talks uh, everywhere uh, will include portals uh, to everything that you guys are doing uh, as well. So I'm greatly looking forward to that. So I will urge you both to, to get me uh, uh, something that I can print out and uh, I will gladly disseminate it. Uh, Hercules, if I may, I just want to make a comment about your, sure. uh, your, your presentation for Disclosure Network New York recently. Uh, my friend, you hit one heck of a home run with the everybody oh, in the room. You really absolutely nailed it. They were so interested the questions were amazing when we had a Q&A, and they are so looking forward to a part two, which will be coming up in 2020. Here it comes. 2020 is right around the corner. Looking forward <laughs> every to time I say it. that, every time I say 2020, I think we should be wearing silver capes and having silver helmets as we, as we, as we get into our flying cars. For some reason, 2020 rings that kind of bell for me. I don't know about yes, you guys, does. but <laughs> it That's really does. Our missing our missing time traveler did, after all, say that in the future everything was powered with uh, microwave amplification by stimulated yeah, masers instead of lasers. And guess who was that pioneering energy. that? Who was pioneering that? We have Mr. Tesla. You know, Tesla's name is coming up all over the place. More. Do you yeah. feel that? Like more and more. He's finally oh, yeah. getting the credit that he's been so, so long overdue. And I am thrilled that that's going on because that, that was such a, he was such an amazing, great, great uh, 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 visualizations of the future and what could happen. And uh, his story, I'll tell you, um, I believe there's a movie. Has anybody seen it yet about Tesla? I haven't seen uh, it. I've got. I've got like five on uh, DVR, <laughs> and I believe there's YouTube links for just about all of them. Uh, Nikola Tesla, Master of Lightning. It was a good one. It was like a PBS documentary from, it looked like probably the early 90s. Mm-hmm. But, um, it, you know, it was it was pretty darn informative. It was pretty well, darn informative. Check that out. That's it. 
That that sounds that sounds excellent. But I'm talking about a very new, like just released kind of movie. Has anybody heard about that? No, uh-uh. I haven't heard about it. Okay, if I, if I if I hear of anything, I'll, I'll update you because I'm so looking forward. Um, it was it was advertised briefly, and then I don't know, but it seemed to me as though it was temporarily pulled, and I'm not sure of the reasons why that was. I do know that Harvey. Uh, no, no, I'm trying to think of um, the man who's 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 um, in in jail or uh, he's out now on bail on. Um, uh, for his uh, misbehavior, um, uh, I can't think of his name. Not Silverstein, but yeah, Wein- that, that Weinstein he, or whatever his name was. He, right, I can't think of his name, but you know who I'm talking about. Uh, I read yeah. that he had he had financed this movie, and I'm just wondering if that alone would cause people to say. Let's not put it out because of what he he's, he's accused of doing. I mean, I don't know this, but Possibly. it just seems to me as though all of a sudden it, it was pulled for no particular reason, and I don't know if it's going to be unpulled and put out there again or not. I'll, I'll try to look for that, but uh, it was all about uh, 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 the uh, the whole the whole era when all those inventions were taking place and the duels taking place between Edison and what he wanted and. All of that. The which Battle of like the Currents. Heck of a move. Sorry? It was called the Battle of the Currents. Yes. Yes. Um, AC versus DC. Um, okay. I, I can get... Go ahead. Uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, I just just that I've looked all over the New York theaters, for, movie theaters for that, and found zero. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so again, I don't know why that's... Because there was a... A blurb about it. It was coming. It's coming. It's coming soon. And then not a word. So I, I just don't know what is going on with that. Um, you know, sometimes with a movie, they'll they'll uh, preview it in in an audience somewhere. And if the audience feels that something's wrong with the movie, they will either reshoot it or re-edit it. I don't know. I mean, that's one of the possibilities of what's going on with this film. Again, yeah. I don't know the facts yet, but anyhow, just wanted to put that out there. But we'll thank keep God. our eyes out collectively. Yeah, he's finally getting the recognition he deserves on so many levels. I've got a couple of people in my group, just to quickly tell you, that are sure. very immersed immersed in, in Tesla and his experiments. And I just had an amazing experience, uh, a, a gentleman from New Jersey. Here we go in New Jersey. Uh, uh-huh. Got a hold of me and said that he's working with his, some of his friends, some of his uh, research friends and and other scientists on anti gravity, uh, and and has gotten some success with some of the things they're doing in their lab. And I had a amazing oh, two hour conversation with him, and he's now scheduled for one of our meetings of the new year. Wow, uh, yeah, cool. awesome. and, and yeah, he's 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 really I mean, he's, the, he's the real deal. His uh, his his uh, his email is falconspaceprogram at gmail dot com. That's F A L C O N space S P A C E program at gmail dot com. His name is Mark M A R K S O K O L, and uh, he he is br- a brilliant brilliant uh-huh. guy and. Uh, I'm very excited about what he's what he's been doing, 
with uh, his re- deep research work in anti-gravity devices. So wow. here you go. Well, you, know. you should invite well, him on. Then, want... That sounds like you'd make an Please. excellent guest. Oh, oh, absolutely. That You're reading my mind, <laughs> which is not surprising to me at all. No, he, he would make one heck of a guess. Uh, and also he's going to be doing a, a full program for Disclosure Network. And um, I just put something out. In fact, you'll have it, uh, Hercules, on our uh, DNNY News Blast. I just did that today, so you're going to get that. You'll see it. I, I will look for that then uh, uh, and follow the threads. Um Wow, exciting things and uh, lots to look uh, forward to. Um, in terms of Atlantis, uh, both of you had been to the Atlantis event that I held a few years ago. And yes. uh, people yes. have been asking about that. And we had a full information table at the time, uh, an outreach uh, um, center. And uh, there, there was a lot of information. I want to not only equal what we were doing then, but surpass it. Uh, in this new iteration of at- Atlantis. So that's one thing. In 2020, there will be an event. Um, and in the interim, there will be a podcast that's regularly scheduled and one that will float around as like a filler show. Um, and uh, um, I have a Facebook group dedicated to Atlantis. There's like 400 and something uh, people there. And I started introducing Atlantis uh, material there and renamed it the Atlantis uh, Project. Um, and uh, um, we have uh, a couple of researchers, so oh. they're going to be sending me information by email, and I'll be adding the, the what's relevant to the Atlantis project uh, there. I've done that with things that Astrid has sent me already, and uh, um, now what I'd like to integrate, and it's good that I have you both here, is I'd like to integrate uh, Project uh, Lemonade. Uh, and also the project that you had in mind, uh, Phoenix, uh, to clean up the Hudson. Uh, so if you guys can talk about that a little bit so that our audience is uh, familiar with it, this way if they see it on GoFundMe, uh, they'll know what to fund. Phoenix, why don't you go first, okay, because you can talk about okay. your project and what's going on. Yeah. Um, okay, so from a commercial level, um, Project Aegis actually is going to require Matt Shepard or Neldon Johnson. Um, uh, it's in the works guys. Um, okay. So to get started, to get started, I actually have to put down about 2.1 million and this will, uh, if you, uh, and also secure 150 acres alongside of the Hudson. Mm-hmm. Um, one of this has to, one of these has to be in a uh, 10 acre spot. Um, the rest have to be in just like maybe a one, one and a half acre spot. Um, what it is, okay, so there are these, um, there, there are these solar towers similar to the mirror tower or to the tower that has all the mirrors pointing up at it. It's outside of Vegas. Only oh, yeah. Okay. Not on its top. So what it is is a hundred foot Fresno lens that focuses a hundred feet of sunlight down into two inches, right? Onto a chromium oh. ball. This chromium ball gets very hot. Very, very hot. Over 1,500, over, well over the 1,500 degrees posted uh, about in Nevada. Okay, so that's hot. (laughs) Yeah, you know, um, water, water over 1,500 degrees. I mean, is it really even water or is it cool? uh, Is it slow plasma? You know, Mm. Um, Mm. (laughs) 
you know, hydrogenated oxygen plasma or something at that temperature. Uh, not only that, they can mess with the pressures. Um, this is this is how I was thinking. This is one of the also one thing one of the things I was thinking, Mick, on the lemonade boats for the drive system in the main part. Because once you get one of these salt tanks that they pump the salt out in and out of these little chromium balls, they pump the salt to a heat exchanger. These heat exchangers stay hot for nine days, right? You could have a jet ski of a lemonade craft <laughs> for nine days. I mean, wow. I'm sure, okay, I'm sure running cold sea water, you know, uh, okay, so I'm sure... Mileage may vary, but still, what are you, you, you're not using any combustible material. Your combustible material is stored in hot boxes in the back of your ship. Um, you, have a, you have a containment, you have a warp core breach. You know, you just drop the, drop the, uh, the big square of molten salt off, off you know, just drop it into mm-hmm. the ocean. It ain't going to hurt anything. It was just came out of the ocean, um, you know. Okay, so but now getting back, getting back to the Hudson, you put these, you put these stations. Uh, you can put four of these lens towers, each of these, each of these lenses, and there's four lenses on a tower, so sixteen, right, is your minimum number. Each one of those can power six to twenty-six houses. Well, right. And um, you're really out nothing but power that you've already generated by turbines. And believe me, this heat exchange system is not all that big. It's not all that big. The prototype for it fit inside a 54-foot trailer. I've actually, Hercules has seen this too. Uh, Hercules, it was the Delta videos. Um, this, uh, this heat exchanger, uh, you remember that? It's like that old farm. It looked, it looked like. A farm wheel that was spit and steam. It took a minute to get going, but once it was going, it that thing was flying. Hmm. Uh-huh. That this was this was a fifteen hundred degree plus steam. And my, I know I'm using somebody else's figure right there because mine's higher. You know, um, New York power brokers. Hey, you want to talk business? There's Hercules. Hercules can find me. Nick can also find me. <laughs> Come yep. on, make guys make us famous. Um, now, yeah, you place these you place these lens towers that require one acre every say two to three miles down the Hudson, right? You're sucking in um, the ratio is five gallons of water purified and cleaned and you know ran through the system turned out as steam. Five gallons of water per one kilowatt hour generated. It cleans five gallons of water. So I, I remember reading this book, Nick, when I was a kid. Um, it was um, about the Hudson Bay and the Indians there. And for the longest time, they could never, ever reach the bottom of these clams. There were all of these clams that were in the Hudson Bay. Yes, Of course, yes, they yes. became civilization. I want to bring back the clams, dudes. I want to bring you know, back the I've read about others too that that have got that concept and are actually starting to seed clams in certain areas. Now I don't know which areas they are, but I know that there is a, an organization that's actually actively starting to do that. Really? Wow. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it, that exists, and it's. I read recently about it because I said, boy, that is a great idea, and it's a long time in coming, but somebody's got the focus to start doing it. So I would, and, and talk, yeah. talk about a good idea that needs to be supported. That certainly is. So what you're saying makes total sense. I would I would check these clams for mutations, given the fact some of the some of the data that I see going down going down, uh, just from Riverwatch, which has been a sad long time since I've seen really major updates from them. What happened? Do you guys are they still around? Don't know. Do not know. I don't know. Maybe a search on the internet might turn up some info on that. I don't have anything at the moment on that. See, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of those. A lot of those various EPA groups got just totally defunded during the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So, what's going on now with those same groups? Uh, or have they reformed into another kind of? You know, yeah, that needs to be researched. Yeah, if not, I mean, we can we can help form one. <laughs> That's what we do. You know, I got to just put a little comment here that uh, there's so many stories that the Indians, way before the white men came to to this land, the Indians were talking about the strange lights in the sky and the fact that these lights were traveling down the Hudson River, and it just yeah. took my breath away that. That that was that was common knowledge that they would see things like this, and they didn't know how what to make of it or what to even call them. But there are reports that the Indians way back when were reporting these strange lights. How wild is that? You know, I, I had to say Very that wild. because when you're talking about the, the Hudson River and all that, and it, it's there's so much there. Amazing, amazing. So. The, your your the, concept is very futuristic. Wow. The it sounds the, doable too. It's it's not pie in the sky. It sounds like it's doable. No. It can be done. That's important. It's uh, it, important. as far as stuff goes, it's being done. I wanted the first stage. I wanted the first stage to go from the mouth. I mean, even if I have to like make a concrete box like halfway between the city and the Statue of Liberty. You know, right on right on the state line, so have New Jersey put money into it too. Um, you know, to to do the first station. How I'm pulling I'm pulling sixteen times five well, you know, let's just do two acres worth and sixteen times ten. Um <laughs> 160 gallons per kilowatt hour per uh, you know, how quickly can it rip through that amount of water versus, you know, how quickly can you spit that amount of water out onto both cities as uh, as not only steam making further power or with, uh, I guess, you know, we guessed it, a Tesla turbine, um, you know, just write a little mini Tesla turbine, I don't know, um, and just, how you know, the, here's your clean water. How does that affect the, the life? That's uh, I know the uh, the rivers around uh, New York are very polluted uh, and not very friendly toward uh, life, but there is life still in them. How would this process affect uh, the life that uh, inhabits the river? You would need to definitely, along the way, filter it out. This would be meant as a as a pollution cleaner mainly. Okay. 
Now, as 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 we reached that pollution-free stage, as we pulled it all up out of the river, and there's a thing about the Hudson River in particular. Um, this is also a quality that's uh, shared by the Mississippi River, but not for a good long time in the process. Um, the Hudson River will flow straight, I believe, almost straight out of the Arctic, if I'm remembering right. Oh, really? So oh, every I believe I believe um and this is one of the reasons I chose the Hudson initially. Um the it's they say it like takes sixteen or seventeen years, but they figure every bit of water on the face of the planet except that which is trapped in like the 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 Black Sea or you know, that which is not going to evaporate for you know, which is otherwise indisposed of, every bit of water that's circulating the planet will pass by the Hudson River once every 16 years. Go ahead. The pollution that we're speaking of, is it coming from the north past the George Washington Bridge down? Is it coming from the north to the south? Um, watching Riverwatch, uh, you're seeing a lot of orga- you know, a lot of chemicals coming out of the city. Now, but oh, as you're going up, city, you're seeing more and more going to the okay. But they're coming out of the city itself. Uh, the 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 data. I mean, I, I'm sure that the site's still up. But if I'm remembering right, yeah, you're seeing. And there's also there's also a toxic sites USA site. Um, that will give information on chemical spills as well as part of where I'm drawing it from. Okay, um, yeah, because that's going to be important to know where the sourcing is of the best of the most pollution to know that's the place to be a, to be attacked with right. a, a way to clean it. You know. Yeah. And talking yeah. and talking about the the most uh, pollution, uh, plastics right now are very much in the news because of their environmental uh, impact. So um, thank you, Phoenix, oh, yeah. uh, for introducing us to the Aegis uh, project. And now we will hear about Project Lemonade. Okay, uh, Hercules, roughly how many minutes do I have? I just want to know. I will tell you. How many you have. Uh, um, roughly six minutes. Okay, okay. Just because that helps me to to know what to talk about because it's a big, it's a huge subject and uh, a huge subject. I, can, I know. Uh, right. So Project Lemonade, uh, and the subtitle is When Life Gives You Lemons, Make Lemonade. Uh-huh. And what that what that. that means is simply is that when when there's trouble and and things things are looking dark. Uh, you examine that and you try to turn it around. You try to make something good out of something that's, that's uh, a problem, basically. And one of the key problems, two huge problems that everybody's trying to figure out are the worldwide homeless situation. And that is getting worse by the minute, as we all know. And there's a lot of, right. a lot of data on that. And also, Worldwide, the pollution of plastics, not only in the landfills, but in the oceans. And I've seen photographs, and I'm sure you have too, of remote, gorgeous, gorgeous islands with palm trees and flowers and the most beautiful places in the world. And the divers go down, and then they're seeing plastic and all kinds of uh, trash that have been 
that that have the currents have placed them all the way to the little islands in the middle of nowhere in and and that, this is a common thing now it's not it's not just an isolated case this is what's going on and the divers said i can't believe that those that all that trash it's limitless and it's all down there and what it's doing to the life of, of the oceans and also the um, the other life-giving plants that the uh, the oceans have is criminal and we've got to do something about it so I was adding it up, and I was thinking, okay, you've got a huge problem with homelessness. The, the people, they're walking around with just the clothes on their back in some cases in various lands. Um, we don't even have to look that far. Los Angeles has got a gigantic problem with this, and so does San Francisco. Huge problem. And guess what? New York City has just been put on the, uh, on the list of, uh, of being – a very uh, bad, bad uh, situation because, believe it or not, we have been sending homeless people with just the clothes on their backs and very little else on uh, to different cities, to different cities, to New Jersey. We've been sending wow. people to New Jersey to solve our problem. We've also taken people, and they have they have been shipped as far as believe this or not, Hawaii. People have been put down in Hawaii with absolutely nothing, and thinking, uh, well, at least we got rid of the problem here in the, the the problem here in New York City. When I heard that, my heart was just aching uh, for the people, for these human beings being put through that, and also, what about the people on the receiving end? Now they've got a problem that they, they, they didn't bargain for and what to do. Who's going to pay for the food, the medical, a place to stay, some sort of a reasonable place? And we're talking men, women, and children, families. This, this, go, this goes on and on. So, okay, so that's the laying out of the two big problems. What do we do? Well, we've got more plastics that nobody wants all over the world, and there, there's mountains of plastics in some of the oceans, and I'm talking major mountains of plastics. Also, yeah. landfill, that was another solution. Let's just bury it all. Well, we're running out of burial room, believe it or not. So what do we do? And um, so the answer is recycling. Could something be recycled? And the answer is yes. There are plastics that, will, that can be recycled and have been, they started with small projects like vases and, and little pieces of tile and things like that. Uh, a, a couple of clothing manufacturers and, and shoe companies have taken some of these discarded plastics and by cleansing them and, and reemerging them as a material to make sneakers and sweaters and all kinds of other things that people could wear that are fresh, good-looking, and last. Well, that's a, bit of a, 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 that's a bit of a solution that you can do that. But I'm talking much more than yeah. that. I'm talking what do you do with, with mountains and mountains of, of this plastic? Well, uh, a few years ago, people started experimenting with 3D printing. And when I saw that, I thought, 3D printing, how big could it be? Well, they started off very small. And now some people have 3D printers in their homes, and they make 
little sculptures and things with with that with 3D printers, and they can they're affordable. They could be three and four hundred dollars, um, the price of say a a, a reasonable little com- a laptop. But now yeah. people have said, let's make them bigger. So now we have uh, we have printing devices using, and now they're using cement or a combination of uh, things, and they're printing things out. China, believe it or not, just came out with and has now, I've seen the photographs, the biggest wall for keeping water at bay in the world. It's a gigantic wall. It's made of uh, made up by printing, um, I believe it's cement and other materials ground together, and these machines are are, they look like houses, they're so big, and they're making these walls to retain the water so there won't be a problem. And China is perfecting this right now. Also, wow. some other places, really amazing. I'll try to get some photographs so you can see. And they, they also said, as long as we're doing this, let's design it so it protects the fish and the, um, the plants associated with the coast. So they've They've, they've developed the structures so it can protect the fish and the plants. It, it's it's, it's a, a mechanism that only helps the environment. Good for them. Applause for, for China for doing that. So other people said, I wonder if we could make something bigger. And so they started printing things like furniture, furniture. And then a few people said, could we possibly make a small hut? like a small little place where we could store our garden uh, materials and so forth, done. That's already been done. And other people from another part, and this I believe is the America, said, can we make a small home with a couple of rooms, something very simple and basic on one level, walls and a ceiling with a few rooms, windows, stairs, and a little foundation. And can we do it by printing it? literally printing it. Well, they've been experimenting with that, and now they're up to 10 houses printed, get this, per day. Wow. One printer, one printer. Now, this is, these are simple homes, very simple homes, but they're dwellings where people could be safe and warm and a place where you could put your hat. Now, there's projects on the West Coast because, again, even Las Vegas is suffering with these this incredible homeless situation, and they've been starting to build, and also San Francisco, little homes made out of wood and then painted, but they're, they're made, again, out of wood, and it's like building a, a standard home, only it's much smaller. The problem is this can take weeks to make one little home, and we're talking about of printing out maybe maybe almost 10 homes, small homes, a day with these new printing techniques. If you put, say, 10 of these printers in an area that was designated for, for these little homes, you could create a village for homeless people, something simple, but something that would protect them and their families uh, with, within a couple of months. So, again... Uh-huh. This is very exciting stuff, and then you start going into how would it be financed? Well, there's a lot of money that's going out for for shipping people 
in various places that <laughs> for just getting them off of uh, city streets and into other places and let the other people worry about it. But that's all going to take money to do that and money for support. So this is not going to go away. It's only going to get worse as more and more people are losing their homes and, and, and in some cases being driven out of their countries, their own countries, to seek uh, freedom and safety in other areas. And we've all seen many stories about this. This is, this is huge. It's a huge problem. And the way to solve it is to print these homes, print 3D homes, simple homes that people can, can live in. Go ahead. And that is uh, an excellent place to uh, um, stop tonight's uh, journey and uh, to be continued in our next uh, um, Age of Heroes, the Atlantis uh, project. Uh, Nick, anything you send me, and Phoenix, anything you send me, resources, information that is related to water or to the Aegis project and the uh, Project Lemonade, I will be sharing them in the Atlantis group. And I believe both of you are members of the Atlantis group uh, currently. If you'd like Indeed, to post anything directly, yeah. this water-related, you're, you're more than welcome to. Thank you very absolutely. much. Uh, you're both awesome. And uh, I look forward to the next time that uh, we uh, all uh, communicate, because I believe that we accomplished a lot, and I know I certainly learned a lot tonight. Time flies, does it, gentlemen? Boy, this went quick. Yes, it does. Seven three and Godspeed, KJ7, KHC. And love to all. Love to all. Thank you very much. Until next time, this is all of us wishing all of you joyous journeys and amazing adventures. Thanks, guys. It was terrific. Thanks a lot. That was a very good program. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, All manifestations of the divine are equally valid.